Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Benjamins Assemble. Today, we discuss these four female New Yorkers who gossip about their sex lives, or lack thereof, and they find new ways to deal with being a woman. Back in the 1990s and the early 2000s, it's the Benjamins Assemble, coming up. Symbol. This is Chris Wiggins. I am joined, as always, by our good friends. All right, we got a main man, marketing and PR genius, Mikey Padilla. What is cracking, my yo, man? Yo, 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 what's up, what's up? Oh, man, look, you sound like the, look, I know we're doing a 90s show and everything. You don't got to do the 90s DJ. And, and from our inane and our completely irreverent, uh, we, love, we love him to death. Uh, we call him pop culturist, our boy Scotty Bauer, man. What is happening? What's up? How you guys doing? Uh, we are great. Uh, I'm doing even better after having finished watching uh, six seasons of a show that I never thought I would tackle uh, or that I would watch. Uh, but it's great to tackle this. Of course, we're talking about Sex in the City. You guys know it's actually uh, we we're we're a little bit progressive here, so we like to celebrate 21 year anniversaries because you get to drink uh, drink at 21 as opposed to those old uh, 20 anniversaries. Uh, but 21 years uh, 21 years ago, back this summer, uh, Sex and the City had, de- had debuted in June of 1998. It was started by our good friend Darren Starr. If you guys know him, that is Darren Starr of 90210 fan. Wait, wait sorry, say that again. Friend of the show. Yeah. Friend of the show. Good friend. Good friend of the show. We should have got him on for this. We actually should have got him on for the podcast too, and see what he see what he thinks. I don't know if he's uh, working on anything else. Um, but nevertheless, six, aired six seasons, started by Darren Starr, and had kickstarted really kickstarted the career of quite a few people. Uh, now the show obviously starred Sarah Jessica Parker. Then you also had the immortal Kim Cattrall. She became immortal from this show. Then you have uh, future governor candidate uh, Cynthia Nixon, and then you've got the as wonderful Kirsten Davis bringing the heat and everything. Uh, so, guys, so binge watching this over the last few months to be able to get ready for this. Um, number one, I found I think this like I found out that this show broke down uh, so many different doors. Like when you think about it, um, like when, I know that when I was growing up, like you think about like early '90s. Every show you had, every show that you had on was essentially um, this. The guy is horny. Um, the girl like seduces him, yada yada, in order to get him to like take her to the Met Gala or the opera or something like that or whatever, right? And then it was like a reward if the guy got sex or something like that. This show sort of subverted all of that and said, hey, you know what? Women can be sexual as well. Um, they they can be out there. It doesn't mean anything. Obviously, it broke down the doors. That we're not calling women sluts because they have a sex life or anything. We're not looking at them as failures because they're not married in their 30s and all. I found all of that extremely prof, uh, like profound and like groundbreaking. If you think about the the time that this came out as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and some of that is seen in the first season in the pilot episode when um, we hear Carrie mention that she is trying to have sex like men. Um, basically, you know, doing things with no strings attached, no emotions, no feelings, nothing, just strictly casual. Yeah. You know, like, 19, like 1998, for this stuff came out, like, uh, the, that's, this show, like, debuted essentially, what, four or five months after the other, not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so Clinton, good friend of the show. <laughs> but, it, like... <laughs> Uh, well, which which Clinton are we referring to as a good friend of the show? <laughs> well, uh, for, <laughs> well, we're gonna leave that we're gonna leave that one for another episode. But like to think that 
like in the height of Monica Lewinsky, at the height of, I mean, call it what you will, I think this is the same time that the Ellen came out, um, Ellen came out and everything, and like just a few years after Murphy Brown, to really, to really get this, it's like you get women that are owning, like they're, they're owning everything. And like you said, like in the first episode, she said she wants to have sex, uh, sex like men. You got these women openly talking about what's, uh, what's okay. Like you think about the, uh, the episode, the really famous episode about doing anal and everything. Um, as like you think about '90s shows, uh, Seinfeld being popular, and they have the subverted everything with the masturbation episode where they don't talk about it. Then this for, show, for this show to come out and talk about something that everybody's seemingly doing, and talk about anal, and then it being from a woman's perspective, that's huge. And it's like kudos to HBO on being able to say, you know what, um, let's go ahead and do this. And uh, this is like a turning point for HBO in reality. Uh, you guys thinking back like they had shows uh, Dream On, I believe, with uh, was that Brian Baldinger? Was it uh, Scott? I know you're fan of his right uh totally no i have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about i what know the- brian baldinger but not dream on what, what oh Bri- or brian ben ben was his name or so- whatever uh, Bri- yeah. no, not brian balding i got messed it up but they had shows like dream on and then a show i used to watch all the time arliss the hbo was known for you watch mike tyson fights um then you watch some shows that are only on for a few seasons then boom uh, out of nowhere, you got this show about four four extremely attractive women uh, with really great storylines, and the guy that like the guy that brings you nine hundred two and zero, he hits it out of the park again uh, with this, and it's like incredible to think, all right, what that did for HBO and how it transformed the network. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a big difference in, in, in talking about kind of some of the shows that were around in that day, it, it, very sitcommy, right? And even nine hundred two and zero, in a lot of ways, it, it's it's on regular network TV. There's there's commercial breaks. I think this is really kind of a, a perfect match in heaven where you have this type of storyline that's never really been done before on a network like HBO, where the storytelling is, is just sort of seamless. And in, in a lot of ways, I think it's appropriate that we're doing this as the first show because it's so bingeable. And right before binging was a thing, this show, you can just watch it back to back to back without commercials. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of ahead of its time. It's pretty, pretty fantastic. Yeah, and also able to get into it for only 30 minutes as well. And, uh, like, looking now that all these shows that people watch, it's an hour commitment. Uh, I'll, uh, just, like, in being able to go get through these episodes, you know, getting through the ha- first half of season in one night, that was possible with it being 30 minutes. And I don't, for some reason, I'm thinking, like, because I didn't watch this during its original run, I always thought, okay, all these shows that are on HBO, these are going to be, like, an hour long. It's going to, like, take a lot of time and all. But this is – they're able to get, like, great storylines, make it witty, make it funny, make it smart, make it prescient, and able to pack that into, a, a, like, a full-on 30-minute period. That was the more uh, impressive and surprising thing I saw sort of in watching it. Yeah, but you also got to keep in mind, so it was 30-minute episodes, but also the seasons were a lot longer. I mean, you're talking 20, 30-minute episodes as opposed to the typical uh, hour-long 10 or 11-episode seasons for longer shows. Yeah. I'm, yeah actually, I actually miss that. Uh, call me call me old or nostalgic or something, but I always miss when you had 22 episodes you can go through as opposed to now they're doing, what, 13, and then sometimes it, or 13, it used to be that they do 13 on cable, they do 13 on uh, USA and all that, and then now they're, they're all, we're almost down to like doing seven or eight to sort of match up with the Netflix trend, and I, I really miss that. Hey, you get 22 episodes, and like by season four, you've already got 100 to choose from. Um, this show, of course, ended at, I think they had about 94 episodes, and then if you want to add the extra if you want to add the two movies and all, you can say that they had 100 episodes <laughs> that they got to right. episodes, I guess. 
Nobody wants to count those movies. No, was- <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're, so we're gonna get uh, that we're gonna get to that in sort of uh, some of our topics later on around uh, where the movies rank and all. But uh, the, like, so this show obviously was started by uh, former writer with the. Uh, New York Observer, that's uh, Candace Bushnell, and she actually came out with a book. I did, actually tried to look at the, actually actually t- t- dove into the book. It's like a collection of uh, essays that had came out. Um, and then from there, they got the they got the ideas uh, based on that. And then Carrie Bradshaw is obviously the, uh, it's actually the embodiment of, uh, of Ca- uh, Candace, sorry, Candace Bushnell, not, Ca- not Carrie Bushnell, but is embodiment of uh, Candace Bushnell. Um, and it came just based on, uh, you know, sort of her living in it. And then of course, obviously Carrie is a great writer. Um, would you guys read her columns if you guys had the chance New York for the New York Star? Um, I definitely would, I think just to get a, perspective from the opposite sex um i mean given the time that it was i mean you're talking late 90s early 2000s we didn't have you know access to google and a lot of technology that we have today so this would have been the perfect way for people to get someone else's opinion you know you didn't have blogs and stuff back then yeah. yeah, it'd be like uh, it'd be like uh, Huffington Post. I mean, I think Carrie would have maybe launched her own kind of ha- Ariana Huffington style, like Carrie, Carrie Bradshaw. Huffington Post. Yeah, Huffington <laughs> Post. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to know one one reason why didn't the New York Observer just let them use uh, just have Carrie Bradshaw work there? That would have been good publicity. Uh, like the New York Observer, I think they closed down like a few years ago, and obviously they use the name uh, the. New York, the New York Star here, but I don't understand why there wasn't use of the New York Observer. Like you think that you'd want that? Maybe they, I mean you can't account for how big it would have came, but it's not like that kind of publicity would have hurt them, you know? Yeah, maybe like another week of old media life support, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is the new was the New York Star was the New York Star supposed to be like the Daily News um, or something like that, or was it yeah, this was supposed the- to be as big as the New York Times or what? Daily news, maybe post, not times. Not times. Not times, but yeah. all right. So, uh, so, so a few, so a few different characters. Obviously, you had Carrie, we, as we mentioned, you had Carrie Bradshaw played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Then uh, you had Mister, you had uh, the on again, off again uh, sort of love affair with uh, Mister Big played by uh, Law and Order's Christopher Knopf. Uh, then also you've got the you, you've also well let me name the main character before I go into those side characters as well. Uh, then you got the wonderful Charlotte Charlotte York. You know you guys already know I'm the biggest fan of hers. Uh, then you got the Samantha Jones played by the Kim Cattrall, and then also Miranda played by Cynthia Nixon. One thing that I thought that this that this show sort of made it huge was the when you're boys you compare yourself. I'm Leonardo. I'm Raphael. I'm Donatello. Yada yada. I'm this Ninja Turtle, or I'm the Green Ranger. And you're Jason or the Red Ranger, or something like that. Um, this show I think it. Made Made it popular for girl for women to come out and say, "All right, I'm this character, yada yada." Oh, I'm I'm of this type, right? And then that, of course, morphed into. And let me not compare the two, but people saying what house they're from, as in like, uh, what do you call it? As in uh, Harry Potter. But I think this show was sort of the first that I heard like women saying, "Oh, I'm a Miranda or, or I'm a Samantha and everything." Yeah, I think I think it's more about uh, don't be a Miranda. Don't be a what? Um, <laughs> What's the one with being Miranda? She's on she's on judgy and and you know all uh, all harsh and has no sort of like you know ability, which is what all, you- all the which is what's needed by the way in this group. But uh, but yeah, I think I think for the most part, women are trying to be more like Aries or Charlotte's, okay. for example. No, but no, no more. No, so if your name ends in an A, they're not trying to be like you. 
Yeah, maybe Samantha. I think I think I think weekend Samantha's okay. We are okay. No, all right. Now, one thing I have a question: Did Ally McBeal copy uh, Miranda for as the archetype for Ally McBeal? Oh, Bauer, that's you. I've already heard you go on a rant about this. Yeah. Well, I think that. Uh, I think she. I think she copied everything about the character except made it straight. Although Miranda's supposed to be straight, but okay, well, there, okay. there's nothing on the show. All right, there's nothing on the show that would make you believe that Mar- that Miranda was lesbian as her real life uh, counterpart. What Scott's referencing, obviously, Cynthia Nixon. I disagree. No, okay. what, what? What do you mean? How so? No, I mean, I think, I think, I think the point of the character was, I think, it was actually a very subtle uh, portrayal of Miranda, kind of exposing her actual sexuality through the character. I think every every aspect about Miranda's life was very much lesbian except having having a heterosexual partner in a child with that partner but i think uh, you know her independence her 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 sort of viability alone her her sort of non looking for a partner to be dependent like she she's trying to be with steve she is sort of the leader of of that of that relationship right mm-hmm. so i think it's i think it's two things i think one it's it's sort of challenging sort of gendered norms which i think she was interested in within play, the portrayal of that character, because that's sort of how her, her personality is. What do you what, what, what do you guys feel about Steve? By the way, first of all, all time great Steve. last Steve Brady, like uh, all time great <laughs> uh, monopolization of Brady as a last name before Tom Brady came out. But wait, um, what are your thoughts on him as a partner? <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, Steve seems like a cool guy. He seems like the typical um, modern day Brooklyn hipster. I mean, he quits his day job, starts a bar. He's got the glasses and the curly hair. All he's missing is a flannel yeah. um, and a beard, basically. But uh, no, really, I mean, he seems like a cool dude. Besides that, he reminds me of Jerry Seinfeld's little brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, totally, I, uh, totally. Yeah. I, <laughs> I like, um, you know, I, I like his personality. And I think that, you know, the fact that he's a Knicks fan, he's probably just used to being let down. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I think I think that's a great point. There's about there's about two twenty five thousand Steves uh, in Bushwick right now on, on this Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Sipping coffee, dribbling, dribbling a basketball and hoping the Knicks win this season. Now uh, <laughs> working on their jump shot. <laughs> Yeah, All right. So I like first of all, okay. I I just think it's he's one of the more inconceivable like sort of their romance is the most inconceivable thing. Uh, bartender to one night stand, uh, and then she's like a lawyer. I'm assuming that she probably has the best career um, progression of anyone on the show, or sort of in terms of like what outlook would look like from a career perspective. And then she ends up with Steve. And and look, like appearances, like appearances aside. He's very friend zone uh, You know, you look at sort of the occupation. Did he get a? Did he ever get a better job? Uh, like later in the series or what? No, nah, he just he stayed as a bar owner. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, he, I forgot he did. He did actually own the bar. But yeah, like I'm like looking. At, I'm like looking at this right. Um, to go from uh, like if they could redo the series because you look at the, the actor that played him, David uh, Eigenberg. Uh, he went on to play the lieutenant on Chicago Fire. He's a looker now. 
All right, like smooth and just you know smooth and chiseled and everything. The actor used to be a uh, used to be in the Marines or whatever. I don't know anyone that got out of the Marines and then ended up looking the way that uh, Steve would eventually look at like Sex in the City. I, I know that it's weird. I'm <laughs> conflating. That. I don't conflating the actor with the character and everything, but I, yeah, I just don't see it. Like I don't know if this was just like the best acting job possible, where they said, "Hey, look, uh, lose a lot of the masculinity and just look like like the kind of low life that that." Uh, like that, like has a one-sided conversation with girls in their Tinder profile, and then you get the get you get the job, or I don't know what's up. So he just went to an all soy diet, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the uh, now the show caught a lot of the show actually caught a uh, interesting a lot of criticism uh, upon coming out as well. Uh, the, the number one we mentioned sort of the ground how, like how groundbreaking it is, um, but a lot of people had sh- said that the show was. I want to go to Jane, Joan uh, Swirsky. She was a New York uh, journalist. She had wrote um, this is sort of like just a little bit before the last season. But another example that feminism is dead is the popularity of Sex in the City. The HBO show that features 30 and 40 something women sending, uh, sitting out the unmistakable messages to females, both younger and older, that careers, money, looks and ostensibly intelligence are nothing compared to doing anything to get a man, including endlessly obsessing about the subject, engaging in loveless or even like uh, likeless sexual encounters, end quote. Um, I'm going to say point blank. I don't know Joan Swirsky that well, but she can go fuck herself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. Like the the criticism that this show amounted to the fact that these women were just sitting there like crazy sex kittens. They're not exactly Blanche from Golden Girls. And we're going to get into some comparisons between that uh, later on. But uh, a lawyer, Um, you have somebody that actually writes a successful blog. Uh, then you essentially got, I mean, you got Sam, one, of the, Sam, one of the best publicists, most publicists in the city with Samantha. Yeah, exactly. Then you got Charlotte, who's, uh, for, I guess like she's essentially uh, what Episcopalian Connecticut royalty and uh, and everything, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> Very well done. She's, she's exactly the credit. Exactly. Exactly. As well as Scott. Hey, Scott. Scott. Yeah. Scott, yours is yours. Uh, yours is a little bit choppy there. Hold up. Let's let's redo that that part. Uh, start from okay. your reply to mine. Okay. Yeah, uh, Charlotte's typical Connecticut wasp. As many as many uh, hipsters that Steve represents within Brooklyn, uh, Charlotte perfectly represents the female Connecticut wasp. Yeah, very, she's, very well. she's yeah, she's essentially like George H. W. Bush. Um, but yeah, the, the, criti- the criticism that somehow the show is anti-feminist. Like, I think that look, I know that I'm not allowed to define this given that I'm a male and all. Um, but I don't think that it's feminist to think that uh, w- that women are empowered enough that they're comfortable to make their own decisions as it relates to sex. How that's somehow um, that fi- that that represents feminism being dead. And my outlook may be different than Miss Swirsky's out- outlook, but I just don't I just don't get what she was seeing in the sense that the criticism about this is that because they're interested in having sex. Um, that and this claim that they eschew money and that uh, look and that they're more focused on looks. I don't understand how that's anti-feminist. Um, a lot of people are interested in looks. That's not just a that's not just a woman thing. Um, you want to look good. You're living in New York. You want to look good, right? And then uh, particularly with the especially with the fact that they don't ever take subways or anything in this uh, show. Uh, you know, you want to you want you want to look good or you want to look presentable. It's not anti-feminism to be to be focused on that. It's not like that defined them. That's not how these all these ladies. I'm a, the characters rather all had. You know, pretty solid backgrounds that have gotten in the the jobs that they had in the 
careers that they had on the show. So I'm not sure where that criticism came from. Um, then the, the other people have called it out. What do you call it? Uh, that what do you call? It? I think this was a uh, Ashley Dykes. Interesting name. Uh, she had pointed out that the fear that they have a fear that men will no longer find a woman attractive if she reveals her true self is in contrast to relationships among the four main uh, main female characters. Look, maybe I'm being a homer and everything. Uh, you know, in sort of in sort of arguing this, but I just don't know that the that analysis sat pretty. I don't know if it was just or sits it's right rather with me that uh, that I think it's actually worse than that. I think it's actually hypocritical. I mean, as as well as you know, Seinfeld, for example, is celebrated about kind of a relationship show, right? There's all of these small things that you know Seinfeld does, and uh, he drops a yeah. toothbrush in the toilet, for example, and has to end a relationship. It's like why are men okay with doing that or portraying to be doing that mm-hmm. within a show and females can't do the same thing. Females can be petty. They can be judgmental. They can have a relationship with someone simply because they're, they're excited about them sexually or because they like this person's job or the access requires. Like to me, it seems a little bit of a double standard mm-hmm. coming from that analysis for, from these, these individuals themselves. Yeah. And uh, yeah, um, Chris. Yeah, what are the backgrounds of these uh, <laughs> these two women that wrote these articles? I, I'm just curious to know. <laughs> the Jones. I mean, are, are these women? Are they still living in the Victorian era? Are they, are they, uh, so, uh, have, they, have they had sex religious? since 1993? <laughs> yeah, Joan. Uh, so Joan Swirsky had written for the New York Times for about 20 years. Um, if she's, I think she says, you go to her Twitter, she says that she's like a proud Jew and a proud conservative. I mean, that's probably all you need to know. The last part, the last part about her being mm-hmm. a proud conservative. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know if this was just like, uh, first of all, someone whose name sounds like it should be on the Key and Peel uh, NFL draft name sketch and everything. I don't necessarily want them commenting, uh, that being Joan Swirsky, uh, commenting on commenting on the show. She clearly has an issue with the fact that women can ste- step up and be pr- be out, be proud, be loud, uh, and that they can shout at the top of the l- top of their lungs about what they're doing and still being able to hold it down career wise. Like I guess she would like it if uh, she maybe she likes Desperate Housewives better or would like it to be subverted or something like that. It seems like the uh, her, her focus is not necessarily on the what the thought process because I imagine these dialogues were happening and I talked to a lot of women that were just like, hey, I'm glad that the show came out and these women were comfortable having the dialogue that we were having in private and all. And it seems like Joan Swirsky and some of these other folks are just like, oh well, ladies shouldn't do that. I found that I mean, anti-feminist. Yeah, I think that there's plenty of criticisms that they could talk about. This is just really, really super lazy analysis that, that that's really just trying to, I don't know, get off on some sort of like moral value outrage basis or whatever. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of typical of opinion pieces. But I mean, I think that there are there are sort of gender criticisms that these characters fall into that I think one could take from a feminist perspective, right? Like any lack of accountability at all by Carrie is a great example of, oh, women aren't accountable. And she does that over and over and yeah. over. And like, are you going to actually be responsible for anything you do or not? Like, that could be something we could criticize as a potential thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Like, there's uh, there are things that you can go into. Carrie's awful. Like, just legit. I know uh, Gla- <laughs> <laughs> Glamour Magazine. But why do we like her? But why do we like her? She's I had a horrible human, but we like her. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I had to bite my tongue on that one. I, I have I feel some sort of way about her, but 
I'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that uh, Glamour magazine had came out and said that uh, she is the worst character on the show, and that she's bratty and self-absorbed, and that that overshadowed her with any redeeming qualities that she had. Um, then a bunch of other people had talked about how what she are was the redeeming qualities: terrible puns and uh, bad jokes. Uh, she's, a good, she's a good narrator. It's like right up there with Morgan Freeman. That episode where she kept saying za 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 zoo, I was ready to throw the remote. So, all right. So, all the burger rocks. Burger was great. He did have the za za. Yeah, like I'm, I'm cool when there's the criticism is about if like the writing's bad. Or if their characters are annoying, but I think sort of in terms of the themes of the show, of uh, oh blah blah this that, like especially when you got like a conservative lady from Long Island and everything like that sitting there, hey, please make sure that the that dress goes down to your ankles. Like she needs to stop, you know. Uh, <laughs> so award season, Sex in the City, though. Um, so obviously I said uh, 94, 94 episodes over six seasons. Um, so it was nominated for 54 Emmy Awards. It won seven of them, uh, including Outstanding Comedy Series. As I understand, it was the first, I believe this was the first HBO show to actually win that award, and only two have won it since. I think, uh, what do you call it? Veep, uh, Veep has gone to win it a few times and all. Uh, won 24, uh, sorry, nominated for 24 Golden Globes. It won eight of them. Also won a Best TV Series, uh, Musical or Comedy. Uh, then also won... Uh, was nominated for 11 SAG. No one cares about SAG. They won three of those and then uh, had 10 Director Guild nominations, uh, winning two of those. Seven Satellite Awards, winning for Best Television Series, Musical, or Comedy, and then also a four, four Producer Guild uh, nominations, winning three. That's a good 75% rating. Uh, that, look, that's huge. For and I, I, I like I said, I got to give this to like out of that's if you got for everyone counting at home, that's about 210 nominations altogether, and they won about 55 of those. That's a pretty good clip. Like if you're doing that in baseball, that's Hall of Fame. That's the MVP award right there. Yeah, it's a 25% ratio. Yeah, the uh, and I really think that like this is what led to people saying, okay, um, we can look outside of network television to start giving awards. And we're maybe we're tired of giving it to NYPD Blue and uh, Frasier. <laughs> you know, let's check out something new. Uh, I mean, is that a criticism of Frasier? Frasier rocks. Well, no, it's not a criticism of Frasier. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, look, like NBC just like had a monopoly on outstanding comedy series. Um, yeah, that's a point. Here's one. No, thing. I think, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say. I, th- I think. I mean, the fact that it won the comedy, I think that's one of one of the really more groundbreaking things not only for hbo but but i think uh you know cast women winning you know an outstanding comedy award that that's pretty i think significant and, it, and it's not something that's interesting it's not something that i think we we hear a lot about um you mentioned veep i think that that gets a lot of a lot of love and a lot of play uh for good reason it's a great show and it's and it's uh you know you know reverent very funny um but i think i think the subtlety of the comedy that this show was able to accomplish, as well as just sort of the typical raunchy, you know, comedy um, elements that came along with it, things like Samantha, things like you know, sex, th- those types of things. I think it, uh, it it really it really was kind of a groundbreaking uh, series, not not only for HBO, but like I said, just just kind of for everybody to really be able to recognize how how well you know this this cast in particular could pull something like this off. Yeah. Now, uh, also, check this out. All four uh, main characters were uh, ended up being nominated for Emmys. 
Um, I, I think that's unheard of. Uh, I know that, what do you call it? Uh, Cynthia Nixon, I believe she actually uh, had won, a, I think she actually won an Emmy uh, for the show. And then Sarah Jessica Parker had won as, a, sorry, had been nominated rather as a lead actress. And then Kristen Davis was the very last one to, uh, what do you call it, to, in their final season. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Cynthia Nixon won. And then Kristen Davis was like, she's the last person nominated. Uh, everyone else had been nominated uh, sort of in the years sort of preceding that final season. But I think that's an impressive run. Like, I think the only thing that comes to mind is maybe the West Wing where all of the main characters uh, won Emmys, I believe. Uh, but like that, I think that that's a testament to how good, like uh, how great the acting was in the show. That also, yeah. I mean, go ahead. I, I was gonna say I, I think all the actresses have their own um, addition to the show by portraying their roles. You know, you had every person playing a different character, a different personality, a different type of individual, and I think that's what made it big is that everyone can relate to it. Nominated shows the talent that they had towards portraying that character, and I think the growth, the growth of each character, right? I mean, I think. Thinking of Charlotte, right? It seems like that's kind of like, oh, let's just give her one so that she has one too. But that that's not really true. I mean, I think if you look at the momentum of her character as she built that character, right? Going through the divorce, going through then, you know, a conversion to Judaism and just how believable she was uh, throughout that process. I think I think her, her character really was pretty great where, where she kind of started as just sort of the side character at first. She kind of became a, a really a mainstay within the cast. Is there anyone, and a good point on that, uh, when thinking of this, like, so some of these, so with them, like, getting nominated for some of these things, and I do have to question some of these, if they were truly acting, or if these were really just themselves, because um, I can't ever unsee Sarah Jessica Parker as uh, Carrie Bradshaw, to me, like, that, like that's her, uh, in every manner, and that's not the invalidating to say that she shouldn't win Emmys or be nominated or anything, but this me like to me it just seems like, uh, and maybe this is my naivety that uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is in fact her, and that that's why the character yep. was say, was able to come so successful. And I do feel that with a few of the other people, it seems like they sort of mirror their everyday life with Scott, like saying that uh, Miranda is actually actually is a lesbian in the show, sort of in like similar to real life. <laughs> uh, Kristen Davis, who's <laughs> like. I like look. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Like, she seems like she's just Charlotte, just out like in terms of everybody and uh, like the mannerisms, the things that that she do. I can legit see Chris, uh, Chris and Davis as a person being like that. I think she's the, I think she's the only one that had uh, sort of never married or had kids. I guess she had adopted or so, uh, and she seems like the most reserved uh, in terms of the four main cast members. Like you're least likely to see her like out and about and all. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's sort of like whether I look at that as a credit to the show or if they just sort of got lucky with this or if the they just decide, hey, I'll just be be like my characters in real life or what. What do you guys think of that? Well, I think some I think Kim Cattrall should have won four times straight instead of everyone else winning because she's just fantastic. And I, I think her character, in my my opinion, she she crushes everyone i mean she's she's just i think far beyond her i mean her character is better than everyone obviously as well but i think her her acting is is just phenomenal i mean she plays this character so well that you really do believe who she is uh and i think she's kind of carrying a lot of these shows in my opinion she's she's fantastic 
Yeah. I now I, I so one question I do have about that, right? Okay. So how how much is Kim Cattrall just like Samantha Jones, just based on what you've seen and heard of, or your thoughts on around that? Um, I mean, are we gonna go into like the beef? Yeah, we yeah, let's get it. That's a great. Yeah, that, yeah, let's, yeah, let's definitely or? get into that. Yeah, <laughs> let's get into that for sure. <laughs> was was that a bad time for the no, segue? No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, let's get right into it. <laughs> I mean, I'm all about the beef, man. So let's just do it. Um, I mean, first of all. I think a lot of the stuff that's going on between them is just a clash of egos. Granted, there have, there have been a lot of reports of like the other women saying that you know they had problems with her, the way that she was on set, the way that she was. Uh, that being Kim Cattrall, especially that being Kim, yeah, Kim Cattrall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, so now, in reference to your question, if we feel like that's who she is in person as opposed to who she's playing in character, I mean, her character she kind of plays. Uh, I guess you could say like this older woman, she never really reveals her age, but she does um, kind of hint at her being older than the rest of them. Um, she kind of, you know, plays, you know, she gets what she wants. She's uh, doesn't want to necessarily commit. So she tends to fly away from, you know, commitment and things like that. Um, but she doesn't really seem like a bitch on the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everything that I've heard of her on set seems to say otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I think that's maybe a testament to, to her her ability as an actress. I th- I think she's very dissimilar to to who Samantha is in real life, and I wouldn't say that about the other characters. I think the other characters are hardly acting, and she's actually very very much acting mm. very well because she's very believable, and I think that would kind of tend to maybe come across within within that dynamic of of professionalism, right? That she's exhibiting. Um, and maybe there's frustrations there. Maybe that's why there is the beef. She's she's going through this sort of actor transformation to become this character, and everybody else is just kind of like, ah, oh, this is just who I am, and it, it's a lot easier for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I still hold to it. She she can be as mean as she wants because she's she's a, she's a fucking star on the show. Though. <laughs> I love Scott. Just like, I love Scott. It's essentially like, hey, you know what? I'm okay with Amy Klobuchar throwing like uh, scissors and staplers and everything like that, just because she's so she gets so much done and she's so successful. <laughs> I'm willing to I'm willing to overlook that because <laughs> she's great. Uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm you're very Bob. Oh, like yeah, I can see you like Klobuchar. supporting Bobby Knight. Just oh, I know he threw a chair, but we got a national championship. <laughs> Look, he choked a kid out, but it was his own son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I love that. Scott's like, all right, well, don't who cares what uh, who, who cares I'm, what happened. Um hey, it's art. Yeah, it's like, art to, to go back on the beef, like and she's Kim Cattrall's been quoted as saying that she's never been friends with any of her co-stars. Going back to what Bauer said about that, showing her uh, ability as an actress, because, you know, you have to play uh, this character that's good friends with these other people. So if you have no relationship with them outside of being on set. Yeah. Like, well, it's to have to portray that on set, you know. But I really want to she was between them and why she hasn't really been friends with them. Like, did she feel like she was alienated by them based off of maybe like clicky behavior or does she have a personality that maybe closed off and didn't allow them to friendship with her? Hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, it, like it, it's I, like, 
everything that we do here is going to be pontificating, obviously, and all. But my guess is, like, if you like uh, Kim Cattrall, I believe she was uh, was born and raised in the UK and then moved to, sorry, I think she moved to the US when she was like 18-ish or something like that. Uh, also, she had done, she took uh, classes over, at, I believe that she's a, a Lambda. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know that, that's the London Academy of Music for Dramatic Art, really popular drama school. Um, so she had done some acting there before uh, before she had moved to New York and then um, sort of continued a lot of things within uh, sort of theater and different like acting conservatories and all. Um, I don't, and like I think that she probably has the more impressive. She's older than everyone, obviously, uh, by I think at least by about 12, 12 years or so. Um, but I think that she has probably the most background, I think, as an actress. And she got started. If you guys remember, what's that? Was was she in Pork? Was it Porky's Revenge or was it Weekend at Bernie's or Revenge of the Nerds or so? That she was in uh, Porky's was, Revenge. Porky's and Revenge. Okay, yeah. When she plays the teacher that howls a lot, or the yeah the person that howls a lot, yeah. right? I mean, we can't be forgetting Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, yeah. We got one, of two, one of two girls with green eyes. Scott will never. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, Big and, Trouble in Little China. She's done Police Academy, which I know that's one of your favorite movies, Chris. Police Academy? Oh, of course. Of course. What's the? Uh, what's that other one that she did with the with the mom from uh, Golden Girls? A mannequin, or was it, I think? So she... Oh. Man, yeah, yeah, man. All right, so she's been in some things. So I don't know if there's like what it's like. Yeah, look, I'm gonna move with James Spader and fucking Sophia from uh, Golden Girls. What can the rest of you tell me, right? Uh, not to say that that was her attitude, but it's like she had she had a lot of career. Like I know that this sort of put her on the upper echelon. We're gonna get to some topic, or we're gonna get to a few different awards uh, for the like our actual internal awards for the show. and talk a little bit about her and all, but I think that that this may have played into is just like, look, you know, I'm a little bit older. Um, I've accomplished some things. Like she was the lead. She was like the lead in uh, that movie, Mannequin, also, um, and not and not a terrible film or at all, right? Um, so I, I don't know if that sort of played into it, and everyone else is just sort of coming up. You got Sarah Jessica Parker was in what? Uh, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus, right? And that's like her most famous. She's the attractive one in Hocus Pocus. I mean, no, no offense to anyone else, but let's call it what it is. She's the attractive. <laughs> she's the attractive witch in Hocus. You know, and then I mean, what's if up? You're five. And you're surrounded by ones and twos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think Kristen Davis was on what Melrose Place, like just like a few years before, like the final season before they said, oh, the show's not a moneymaker." You know. Um, so I can, I can honest, I could see like, if this is the case that it's like, Hey, I'm just not vibing with these folks. They're all new to the craft. And like you, like you said, Mike, to your point that it is that more impressive. If you can, we see this, what we think is a familiar relationship. We think that they're tight and everything. And then you just don't hang around them. And that makes the act, like you said, that makes the acting even that much better. I agree. I agree. Did you guys, uh, did, did, did watching this show make you guys want to get Cosmos? Yeah, actually, um, that's become my drink of choice as I'm watching uh, Sunday NFL games and uh, <laughs> discussing fellow bingers. So, so the uh, so apparently the popularity for Cosmos grew uh, by uh, mainly by young women and then Mike uh, for its frequent mention uh, in this in the series. Uh, essentially, just carry. 
would always order the drink, and then uh, I think even like if you look at the well, if you go back to the film or whatever, um, you know, Miranda asked why they stopped drinking uh, them, and then she said, and Carrie goes like, oh, because uh, everyone else started drinking them, right? Um, but yeah, so apparently like sales for Cosmo and all the ingredients just like skyrocketed. Like that's a that's a that's a nice little humble flex, right? Like I made a drink popular. Like it, that's like being a hip hop artist, right? Hey, everyone's buying Crystal because of me, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so look, we're gonna get. Yeah, Cos- I was gonna say, shout out to Diddy making everybody drink Skyrock. Yeah. So Lagavulin coming becoming popular because of Ron Swanson, right on Parks and Rock. Is wait? Is that a th- is that a thing? Oh yeah, Lagavulin whiskey. Scotch. This seems expensive as hell. Yeah, that's expensive, like the Cristal almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So the uh, I do want to get I do want to get into some of the awards that we have going for the uh, for this. Um, so the very first we have first team all pro casting. What do you guys got? First team all pro casting. So. I would have to say Sarah Jessica Parker. Just felt like she does it. Yeah, I know. After all that stuff, well, I haven't really talked shit yet, but um, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming, everyone. So just be patient. Uh, yeah, so I feel like she does a good job of playing an overcomplicated middle-aged woman. Uh, she really owns who she is, obviously, with her complications and her is not owning up to what she does. I mean, she was. She admits to being what, like thirty-five? Is that middle age now? Uh, don't hate me. Maybe <laughs> it's so, mid thirties. I thought I always thought middle age was like forty-five to sixty or something like that. Like yeah, thirty-five just that just seems like maybe regular. I have What's up? Well, hey, you're. I mean, I, said, I, I probably have right. a different. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you're middle age now. Just just <laughs> FYI. Biologically speaking. Right. The uh, the late 30s is really is really uh, a significant uh, age. You could say middle age within within your ability to uh, reproduce or not as a woman. Right. I mean, that's that's a significant thing. I don't think Carrie's character necessarily wanted to have a child, which they didn't really discuss, actually, that that much. uh, Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. But but, uh, you know, I think it is just a, a biological fact that women in their 30s feel significantly different than men in their 30s, right? Okay. Oh, that's a good point. About that in the first season. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Was that the yeah. was that the uh was that the 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 baby uh the baby shower episode? Was that the first season or was that later on where they went up Yeah, that Granite? was the first season. That was the first right. season also. Right. So, yeah, but they, they had a season about or an episode about that where they were talking about how uh, a lot of these men, I think it was referring to big dating uh, a younger 24-year-old girl, um, no, a younger younger 24-year-old woman. And um, it was kind of just like going back and forth on like how uh, women in their 30s are 20s. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I went with uh, I went with Kim Cattrall for first team uh, first team all casting. I mean, look, and kudos to Sarah Jessica Parker for the narration. But to me, uh, Samantha's character stole the show, and that that I think that all of that's just driven by Kim Cattrall. Like uh, to have gotten sort of a thespian like they did, and to have someone that sort of becomes came synonymous. And yeah, you know, I mentioned the Golden Girls uh, comparison. Uh, she's legit Blanche. 
in in every manner and to be able to sort of take that sort of archetype where you're a what a sex kitten if you will and turn it into something plus the best quotes uh always like sort of were attributed to her like i think you know when uh after she got done fucking uh charlotte's brother i think charlotte goes oh your you know your vagina is the hottest spot in town it's always open uh quote all those kind of quotes went to uh uh, sort of went to that, and even some of the titles that, uh, even some of the titles like X in the City, um, those episodes were about Samantha, you know. So I think that she just like stole the show, and I thought she was the most talented actress of them. And like, I don't, I can't necessarily see anyone else at that time that could have been in that role. I agree with you. I, yeah, I, I, agree. I, I would go even beyond that, and I would say, I think, uh, just as a as personally from 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 my watch of it. Uh, Samantha's character is the one I was most emotionally invested in, which I think is interesting because, right, hers is supposed to be the very non-serious, non-committal, you know, I just fuck everything and make my money and, and you know, do me. But, I mean, I teared up, right, when dur- during her speech. Was that the second to last season, right, when with her, with her bout with breast cancer? Mm-hmm. She took her wig off. She totally owned who she was. Um, I think her character development was was far greater, really, than than anyone else's. And I mean, frankly, Sarah Jessica Parker, when she finally got with Big, I was like, eh, he gives a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Also, like, look, let's keep it. Let's keep, <laughs> let's keep it on hunted. Samantha's the most fun, right? No, she. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, she used to what? She talked about she worked at the deli at the Dairy Queen back in the day. You know, she used to go to Studio Fifty Four and all. You know, and it's just yeah, like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just like infinitely more interesting, like especially in comparison to someone like, uh, like Charlotte, you know. And I, I gotta imagine that probably Samantha's the one that caused all of that, uh, all of those criticisms from uh, what's her name, Joan Kur- Joan Kursky Lewis, or whatever her name was, or John uh, right. whatever her name is, right? Jerk whiskey smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, this Dex Award show, I, I, this is gonna, I know this one's probably gonna take us about ten minutes to get through. Um, hey, was that? Um, and that category, that uh, that award is essentially people we saw in a early in people that we saw on the show, like as a guest star, and we they would go on to break out later. For that one, I had a few people. Um, I went with uh, Bradley Cooper, who makes out with uh, Carrie in the gay bar back in season two. Yes, single, single and fabulous uh, magazine cover. Yes, was that that was that was that episode. Uh, Pretty, pretty yeah. amazing, right? She's trying to impress this guy, younger guy. He's all hot and, you know, in this cool scene. Uh, she's trying to come across, you know, very nice, whatever. She she ended up getting sick. Mm-hmm. And then he he sees the, the single and fabulous magazine cover and looks at her. He's like, is that you? And just laughs at her. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I also... <laughs> I... Also, I think I think this was like I think that's the first thing Bradley Cooper ever did in Hollywood. I think, or I mean, he may have had like some uncredited things, but I yeah, I think that that was the first time he had a speaking role, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in addition to that, I also had on there Elizabeth Banks was in a, a season three episode. I believe it was. I don't believe in. Uh, she, and she said, "What I don't believe in political parties, only party or." I think the famous quote from her episode was, "I don't believe in political parties, only parties." Uh, I thought that I thought that was a great cameo, especially with how, I mean, she's certainly not as big as uh, she's certainly not as big as Bradley Cooper. So, but you go on like there's a time from like what 2008 to 2013, she was legit in everything. Definitely, 
And she, yeah. you know, she makes a lot of cameos. Uh, kind of adds also that that sort of hot, sexy party girl. Um, that that being Elizabeth Banks, you said. Yeah, Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Who did you guys have on this? Who did you guys have on this award? On these awards. Um, so I had Kat Dennings, who, Ooh, who yeah. was in season three, episode fifteen, "Hot Child in the City." Um, obviously, we know her for her role as Max in Two Broke Girls." Mm-hmm. But I think you know her coming on that episode. She's playing the role of like spoiled teenage Jewish girl that hires Samantha to be her publicist for her upcoming mitzvah. She definitely portrayed that role well. I mean, she plays like this bitchy little girl but she's definitely got like a lot of pool with like the things that she's doing setting the bottle when they're at the restaurant and uh things that she talks about as far as like hooking up with boys already at a young age i think that was kind of just like a foreshadowing of like the future sex in the city girls mm, mm, mm. yeah I, I had uh, i had a few actually okay uh, my man my man david duchovny uh, oh, but we knew who that was. David, what? That, wait, that can't uh, count. That wait, David Duchovny. Like, what is this? <laughs> no one yeah, said, "Hey, who is that?" No, that's like, oh shit, that's David Duchovny. <laughs> what? what? Know, he, was still, he was still. He was in like two episodes. He was awesome. Okay, uh, okay, a- <laughs> another, all right, another one. I thought that was fantastic. Alanis Morissette uh, during uh, "Spin the Bottle." Okay, uh, she was potentially Carrie's first female kiss. Yeah, uh, in, in one episode, party episode, that was pretty funny. Uh, and then also Jim Gaffigan. Oh, oh! Uh, he with the door open, and then uh, all, went all the way straight to just shitting with the door open. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know the crazy? <laughs> I think uh, he he would go on to like be, have like a small like cameo in sex, uh, not sex, sorry, obviously Sex in the City, but also on that '70s show. All that well before like his stand up special started hitting out. That's like he might be a hit. Hey, who's that Hall of Fame right there? Right. I want. I was also gonna throw in Timothy Oliphant because you got to see him like in the first few episodes. And based on everything you've seen from him, from like Lawless and anything else, uh, you guys remember the episode? What it's like? Uh, what, what's it called? Uh, it's like the third or fourth episode, something like that. Uh, the Valley of the Twenty Something Guys. Uh, first of right. all, everyone knows this yeah. guy. Like she wakes up and she's like, "What the fuck did I do?" And he's sitting there telling her about his dream, and she, he's oblivious to the fact that she's trying to sneak out the house because it's, like, disgusting and, like, a college uh, type. Every person knows a guy like that or, like, your homegirl's gone home with a guy like that, and you're just like, you know, I know this is not my area to, like, embarge on, but you can fucking do better, you know? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, true, that's, true, the, true. that's the walk of shame, right? Yeah. I, mean, I think guys or girls, I think we've all kind of been there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's even worse if uh, if they wake up in your house and you got to do the old, uh, well, uh, I think it's about time you uh, leave. <laughs> Hold on. You got oh, to tell, tell them that you have a crazy family member coming to visit. Just like, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like they, they have a rude family member that's coming to visit, and I'm not going to, like, protect you if they say some shit to you and hurt your feelings. That's the way you do it. But, no, like, they, I, I love this uh, camera. I was also going to go with uh, Will Arnett in the episode where he plays the masochist at – uh, what do you call it? That wants to fuck absolutely everywhere. Uh, the guy, the, look, the disgust, like disgusting character, uh, obviously. Uh, but he likes to fuck in public places. I think his name was uh, Jack, and he like even wants to do it in front of uh, her parents. And Miranda just doesn't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the the best part about that is that Miranda is probably 
Uh, maybe or Charlotte, but I think even even more so Miranda, a little bit of a prude. Yeah, uh, Charlotte. So be, being paired with someone like that, right, it was uh, was pretty funny. Plus, I mean, Will, Will Arnett, Job, yeah, just famous all, Hall of Fame uh, career. After that, I think that's a good call out. Oh, yeah, that's uh, what Hall of Fame career. That's like a Hall of Very Good. Career. Like, all right, we're gonna move on from yeah, that. All right, I know. <laughs> yeah, all right, I know how you get. All right, let's move on. So we're gonna go to we're gonna go to uh, Stone Cold appearance. Uh, that's not that's not Stone Cold Steve Austin people. Um, but Stone Cold appearance. Essentially, this is. I think that David Duchovny is a little bit more applicable here, Scott. Um, essentially, that hey, this person is well known. Yes, whatever that was. Uh, this person's well-known, and they came on the show and killed it. I went with Matthew McConaughey for playing himself, for wanting to play Mr. Big in the movie, and he's also interested in pursuing relations with one Carrie Bradshaw. Right. All right, all right. Mr. Big, that Mr. Big's cool. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it'd be best if uh, Mr. Big fucked her on the first night. Um, what, who do you guys? So who do you guys have for this category? I've got one, uh, John Slattery. Uh, oh, nice, played, nice. Yeah, played, played the politician uh, who very appropriately was also a piss pig. Liked to uh, to get uh, golden showered upon, like so many of the uh, public service politician weirdo freaks that are out there. Uh, not 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 everyone, obviously. Uh, probably most famous from uh, from Mad Men, but uh, I, I think he's just the obvious star. Yeah, of those three or four episodes, right? Um, sort of showed up. Carrie's <laughs> uh, up. He's just so, so charismatic that uh, that she can't she can't say no. And I think I think that's that's his his uh, his picture on the show. I think he really just kind of takes it over. Also, that episode was great because of the title was called "Politically Erect." Definitely. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> uh, he, was, uh, he was a judge for a firef- firefighter uh, strip down on Staten Island. Yeah. Uh, super classy. <laughs> now, was, uh, his name was Bill Kelly in that episode. Republican or Democrat, was he? What do you think? Democrat. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go with Democrat. Yeah? <laughs> really? You think so? Oh, yeah, I think so. I, mean, I, th- I think... <laughs> He, you know, he, he's kind of the. Uh, it's a, it's night. It's it was the nineties, right? He's definitely a nineties. Okay, okay all right. No, it's because he has the white hair. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He he does look like I could like legit like you flash forward twenty years, maybe Sex and the City three. He's like leading in the polls, and then like something happens with his intern or whatever, where he like gives her a dirty Sanchez or something like that, and then uh, he like his polls start to plummet. <laughs> like everything about him is like a mix of JFK, but if cameras were around, and then Joe Biden at the recent debates is just like, a complete shit show. Do you, th- do you think he has? Uh, well, uh, do you think he has like, a story where like he uh, he got in a fight with uh, the neighborhood bully? Uh, named Corn Pop. Oh yeah, yeah. Guard, and he uh, went went downstairs and, and wrapped the the chain that holds the pool cover together around his arm. Oh my, yeah. Ready to get, ready to get down, <laughs> uh, Corn Pop and his razor blade wielding uh, associates. Yeah. All right. <laughs> nah, fam, he he would he would be the modern day Anthony Weiner. Yeah, oh, oh big time. Yeah, yeah, he is. Absolutely. He he does look like him. Hey, uh, all right. So let, let's uh, we got right, we got to speed through some of these. So, uh, Mike, did you have anything for Stone Cold appearance? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All all right. Right. I had Vince Vaughn. Oh, nice selection. Um, 
He made an appearance on season three, episode 14, Sex and Another City. Shout out to him out. They did their thing. Um, basically, Vince Vaughn's character, he plays a role of Keith Travers, who claims to be Madden's agent. Um, he meets Carrie outside the party. That who Samantha tries to throw a name out. Nobody knows who the fuck she is. Um, and he offers to get him in. Plays his role. Totally, totally plays Carrie into thinking that he's an agent. Uh, hooks up with her, you know, on the couch at this house that he's apparently house sitting. Turns out he's really Carrie Fisher's assistant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the ultimate catfish right there. Oh, big time! Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's that. Just that scene itself was funny. Just them getting walked into, uh, and then just everything unraveling and turning out that he was just basically lying to try to get her in bed. Yeah, Vince. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I want to go with best. I wanted to look at best episode um, as an award. As an award, I went with uh, my motherhood myself. That's one where Miranda's mom dies. Um, Samantha loses her orgasm after hearing the news. Um, then all the ladies rush to Philadelphia to to escort her uh, to, to escort Miranda. Essentially, uh, so I was really huge on that. The other, the very next one I went with, with was potentially I Heart New York. Um, that's one where Miranda has a baby, names the baby Brady. Uh, Sam, you know, Sam catches, uh, you know, Samantha catches Re- Richard cheating and it's heartbroken. And then Carrie also learns that uh, Big is going to Napa and they spend like a moment together. And then that's interrupted by Miranda. Uh, Miranda's labor and all, and I think I want to say uh, uh, wait. Uh, if I'm getting this correct, correct, I think that might be the first episode after 9/11 uh, had occurred. They had a break for a while, or sorry, the season ended prior to 9/11, and then this is the first episode, like sort of post that. So if I'm not mistaken, so I put those two as my favorites. What do you guys have? Okay, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Bauer, go for it, man. Okay. Nice. Uh, I, I got uh, I got uh, Escape from New York, Sex and the City, L.A., which we kind of discussed. Uh, they just hit so many L.A. spots, including the Playboy Mansion. Uh, that that was that was just I think all around. Uh, we you know we mentioned on Vince Vaughn, Matthew McConaughey, my man Sam Cedar made an appearance. How uh, do I know he's gonna be brought up? All right. <laughs> uh, and then the runner-up. And I, actually, this might be my favorite. So I think it's I think it's one in one a is the big journey, the uh, the train ride from San Francisco because Carrie doesn't like to fly. She meets mm-hmm. with Big. Samantha goes on the train with her. They uh, I, I just think I, I just cracked me up seeing Samantha on a train. Just probably the worst the worst moments of her life being in a very small, like essentially tin can uh, box on that on that tiny ass train. And then that's also the the, uh, the episode where Charlotte's divorce finalized, and uh, she ends up hooking up with Harry in like Terrible. the cheesiest bachelor pad ever <laughs> that she finds unresistibly sexy. Terror, yeah, <laughs> it's bad. Like that, yeah, I think that's something that would never happen in real life, like in any manner. Uh, Mike, what do you have for what do you have for best episode? Oh, like, um. My opinion, best episode would be season six, episode seven. Uh, the post it always sticks twice. Mm. Um, kind of just recapping, uh, Carrie gets dumped with the post it. No, um, she's just the post this, uh, what's that? the post it. I love that. Dumped by the post it, yeah. So they all, they all go at this new spot called bed which is basically just like a club with a bunch of beds in it and people are in there without pajamas on 
um, the episode itself was like, it was good. A lot of shit was going on. She gets arrested for smoking weed after they leave the club on the street. And then I think the like part of it was on the note, the dude basically writes, I'm sorry, I can't, don't hate me. And so when she's begging the cop not to give her the ticket for smoking weed on the street. Yeah. But the post note, he laughs and says, I'm sorry, I can't, don't hate me. So I thought that was a nice way of uh, kind of throwing back Carrie's terrible puns at her. Yeah. Okay. No. So, uh, sorry. Right. So we got, we got two more categories before we go here. Um. So I want to want to run uh quickly to timeless versus time pass it by. Um. Uh, sort of what could what essentially what lasts or what has sort of and eh, that seems like a far far gone time. I went with uh like female female empowerment and openness to sex. Uh. That's timeless to me. Not from like a horny uh, situation at all. Just from a standpoint. All right. It's it's huge that we don't judge people just based on their um sexual openness or anything like that um what did what did pass me by is sort of the way that some of these women were able to live in new york uh at the time based on some of the some of them had really kind of middling careers but were living it the fuck up and that just made no sense like someone had like severe money trouble and you obviously can't do that in new york city like you're like hanging out like in your closet or whatever just like oh crap all right i hope nobody finds me asking to do things um so some of that just didn't uh, yeah i yeah, that just can't happen today. Yeah, dude, she she dated like several uh, dudes who owned houses in the Hamptons. I mean, these are like multi million dollar houses. Yeah. Like, who are these dudes? Like, it just doesn't. It doesn't. That's not possible. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you guys have for that category? Well, I was just to add to what you said, though. You got to think about like they were also uh, Carrie and some Carrie. Well, really, just Carrie. She was living in a rent controlled apartment, so it's kind of like also displaying like people living outside of their means. Like you're living mm-hmm. in a rent controlled apartment, but you're also spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on like you know fashionable shoes. Forty thousand dollars. But then when she tries to buy that, yeah, then you try to buy that apartment, and then it's like to your name to be able to qualify for this this basically. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just yeah. What do you guys have for these categories? Uh, I think the I think the characters themselves we we touched on it, but they've become kind of a, a characterization vocabulary, right? Like among among women, um, right? I think we've all you know among some of our female friends, we probably all have friends who are like, oh, I was totally a Samantha this weekend, or don't be such a Miranda, or yeah, uh, you know, do, do, you know, they, they, they've become these characters have become sort of part of uh, everyday everyday life uh, and characterizations. I, I think some of the stuff that passed it by, while I think some of the female empowerment is true, Chris, I do think that there are a lot of really cheesy stereotypes and mm-hmm. cultural variations. Men are this way, women are this way, gays are this way. Kind of, kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I can see that. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you're spot on on that. Uh, the, and like you think about the living outside your means thing, right? Maybe that does like, that probably there are some of the criticism that the show got, uh, right? It's probably aged like actually aged well or so, but that's probably some of the criticism that, sh- that should have been directed towards the show. Um, last category I want to well, leave. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like part of my gripe with that is like they're always riding in in taxis, but I never saw them jump on the subway. Once. Oh, yeah, like, I, <laughs> six years no subway. New York and not ever ride the. Yeah, 
Yeah, and let's also keep it 100. These are four white women, like post 9/11 New York, and a lot of Arabian uh, taxi drivers. You don't think they would have had some pause a little bit? And that's not to say that the subways are better, and that's not to, also not to say that uh, you can't trust Arabs or anything like that. But there would have been a little bit of pause, like okay, uh, yo, maybe we get a maybe we get a subway where there's at least like 90 other people or something like that. Uh, so some of that was unbelievable too. Well, I'm saying there was that episode where she rode the bus and then homegirl calls her out when she's sitting at the bus and she's like, why are you on the bus? And then you're waiting for the bus. Yeah. <laughs> why are you taking the bus if you're on the bus? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I uh, wanted to end this also with uh, some auditions uh, that could have occurred. So Dana Delaney was originally offered the role of Carrie Bradshaw, but she had passed because she had already done multiple projects involving sex. So she had some shows such as Nude Girls and Exit to Eden and didn't want to be involved with another project that had sex in the title. Uh, she would then go on to be in Desperate Housewives, though. What do you guys think? Good good that they passed? Good that she dropped out? I think Carrie is Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. And Sarah Jessica Parker is Carrie. So I think I think that was a, a a good mistake for her to pass that up. Yeah, I agree. So Kristen Davis also originally auditioned for the role of Carrie, and uh, they decided to pass. And then she got the role the role of Charlotte. Um, look, look, she's prude. Charlotte's prude. Th- this works again. I mean, I don't know if she's prude. I'm, yeah, I'm not in a position goes, to know. But yeah, just fit. I'm sorry. Like I couldn't <laughs> see it. Yeah, it goes back to what we said earlier about whether or not these characters are playing who they are in person or if they're playing a character. And I think for her, it worked out better that way. Uh, So I'm going to skip some of the like non-important people that uh, tried to audition that we just don't know. But here's one that would have been huge. Alec Baldwin is uh, big. So Darren Starr had said that uh, Alec Baldwin uh, nearly took the role um, instead of Chris Knopf. And then that he really that uh, Darren Starr really wanted him for it. Uh, then apparently he met Chris Noth and thought he was perfect. And then they had the table read, and he's like, hey, this is just great. I'm sorry, I got to go with him. What do you guys think? Would Alex Baldwin have been well, a great Mr. Big? I think that part's a little ironic because in the first season, the first episode we meet Big, they compare him to like a young Donald Trump. And Alec Baldwin went to play I'm Donald Bald- Trump in SNL. Right, exactly. <laughs> See that, that would have been perfect. You guys, did, did you guys find any weird auditions or what else that could have occurred? Well, I, I, about the Chris Nothing, I think it ended up being uh, a great choice. I think Alec Baldwin, part of I think Big's uh, allure, right, is is sort of his anonymity. We don't know a lot about him. He's just Big, he, mm-hmm. right? We find out at the very end his name's John. Yeah, but I think Alec Baldwin is too well known. I think too many people kind of know who he is and would have associated that. I think Chris Chris Noth, Fairly, not definitely as, as well known as as Alec Baldwin. I think he he provides that allure as, as some of sort of the unknown, sort of older, wealthy, uh, attractive, you know, kind of traditional man. All right. Oh, definitely. I think yeah, and I think that for for me, it's like look, you get a former Law and Order guy, uh, you hum- you humanize him a little bit, uh, and you make him a star. Alec Baldwin's a little bit too good looking too. Uh, just in my opinion, and I think Chris. I agree. Yeah, it, it's just like eh, like like he would just look like royalty. I just don't, for some reason I just don't feel like that would necessarily fit with the role and sort of the sincerity that you get out of uh, Mr. Carrie B- could maybe get yeah. Chris. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she yeah she can't get 1990s uh, Jack Ryan Alan Ball, Alec Baldwin. All right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mister. Okay. I drive a nine hundred eighty thousand dollar BMW, motherfucker. <laughs> what do you? <laughs> 
<laughs> right. All right, guys. So look, we're not going to reveal the next what the next episode is. However, we'll give them a little bit of teaser. Should we give them a teaser clue? What's up? Okay. I did not hear anything at all. No, I said drop it. Drop the clue. All right. Well, we're gonna be we're gonna be going to West Philadelphia for the next episode of Bingers Assemble. Um, gentlemen, uh, let's get prepared. Let's keep binging. Let's keep watching. And thanks for being here. For everybody, for Mike, for Scott, this is Chris Wiggins. Bingers Assemble, baby. <laughs>